What's going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Tuesday, September the 7th, 2021. This is episode 81 of the show. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the podcast. If you're someone who just likes the audio version, you've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. If you're someone who watches along over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernier Show, you'll get this episode along with the 80 Prior, this week's show, going to take a look back at some of the performances, predominantly the two-year-olds, from this past weekend, closing weekend at Saratoga and Del Mar, and we'll wrap things up with a look to this coming weekend, or this coming week, I should say, if you want to include Thursday, and I know it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, and that's fine. We're going to get through the horse racing piece first, but I got four plays for the NFL week one. The slate is out. We've got some numbers from DraftKings, going to throw those up as well. Oh, and before I dive into everything, got to... Give uh, our guy Marcus from the Brentwood up in Saratoga a little love. I told him I'd wear the shirt during the pod, and there it is. If you're ever in the area, even if it's not for the racing meet, head on up there. Check out the Brentwood right next to the horseshoe up in Saratoga, just outside the 7 8 shoot. Great spot. Definitely give them a look and give them some love. Before we get into the two-year-olds, which is really my... My big kind of takeaway, my the thing that got me going and excited about closing weekend up at the spa. And no, I'm not going to get into the Jockey Club Gold Cup or the Flower Bowl or any of those races. The first horse, it's not even a race, the first horse we have to talk about is Flightline. I feel like Flightline has become a bit polarizing because some people either think he is the bee's knees or other people think... It's a mirage, and for whatever reason, because he's on the West Coast, he's not that good. And I, I don't. That's one of my favorite things. Whenever people will send comments, whether it's beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, uh, about you know, oh, East Coast bias, West Coast bias, this, that, or the other. I mean, if if that's the, that's that's just such a, it's not low hanging fruit. That's not the right way to put it. It's a lazy argument. It's, it's not taking things into consideration and what the actual argument is pro or con for any given horse or any given race or whatever. I've seen too many people, I think, bring up the idea that the 114 buyer speed figure earned by Flightline in his second lifetime start for John Sadler and Flavian Pratt is just, it, it, there's no way that he could possibly run that fast. Well, I, I don't totally understand the logic behind that because he broke his maiden back in April, earning a 105, and when you compare that to a another sort of speed figure maker like Timeform US and Craig Mulkowski, the 125, um, we've talked about that 20-point differential in the past, that checks out very well. The 114 buyer, Craig is not the one who makes the Southern California figs for Timeform US, uh, but he did say on Twitter, and you can go over there and follow him, that you know, he when he looked at it, it looked like a 134, which again, checks out perfectly with that 20-point differential. I have no problem whatsoever with the figs. The 114 buyer, when you take a look and see what the other horses have run in the past, there was only one other horse in the six-horse field that earned a career best fig. I have no reason to think that the 114 is too high. And visually, it was phenomenal. And I think that's the piece that is that I'm most interested in diving into. We'll talk about perhaps where Flightline shows up next. But the thing that I'm most interested in is the way in which the horse won. 
Stops the clock in eight flat on Sunday afternoon. The 114 buyer, he did it from slightly off the pace, just took over rounding the far turn with just complete ease. And no, he didn't beat a star-laden field, but he beat a decent field of allowance types. It's not like it was a bunch of, of bums in that race. I think it was, a, it was a fair group. Not a great group, not a terrible group. Fair group. You got horses that are fully capable of mid-80 kind of buyers, and he blew the doors off of them. So th the reason I bring up the way in which he won, twofold. Let's start off with the reason I think there's even more potential down the road from a distance standpoint. When you look and see the way that he finished up, and specifically the gallop out, it was as if he wanted to go around again. I mean, he powered through the line, going back around the clubhouse turn. I mean, I, I really genuinely think he could have gone, you know, at least another half mile, if not more than that. So he's run twice at six furlongs. He's earned just unbelievable speed figures for a horse that's this lightly raced. But is it reasonable to think that he actually is doing something that he doesn't want to do? And I talked about this last week with Life is Good. That you're, you're doing this in spite of the fact that this isn't really what you want to do. I think there's a real scenario that Flightline is a two-turn horse. And he's just this talented. And the hype has always been there. They paid a million dollars for him. He's a son of Tappet out of a mare who was a good two-turn turf runner and feathered. I think there's plenty of reason to get excited about a horse like this. So for the people just kind of poo-pooing the performance and saying, ah, blah, blah, I don't get it. I, I think this is a really, really good racehorse. And he may not be doing what he actually wants to do. Now, the, I would say, cause for pause for me has nothing to do with the horse himself. It has to do with the folks... And rightfully so, and understandably so. You watch the tape, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or any of the other places that you stream your races. He never got out of, he was never asked really, let's say. He never felt the stick. It's not as though he was put to an all-out drive. I think too many people look at that and go, ooh, he never got out of first gear. Maybe there's, you know, what happens when they ask him to go? Well, that, that's what I would ask you. If you're someone who, and visually, it's not an inaccurate statement. He was never pushed on hard. But if you really believe that he was just doing this all on his own, and you think he's got considerably more left in the tank as far as his ability to run faster, forget about longer for a minute, faster, I mean, are we, we're, you're talking about a horse that you think is running and could potentially run a 120 buyer. That puts him in, he's already among the faster horses we've seen in the last handful of years, especially sprinting. I mean, if you put him up into that ballpark, he's in rarefied air. Like, the, the select few. It's possible, I've said it before, I'm not someone who likes to speak in absolutes. Because I don't know. Maybe more. Maybe some of you know more than I do. That's, you know, I'm more than willing to acknowledge that. But the likelihood of there being considerably more from purely from could he go faster, that seems extremely unlikely. Not impossible, but extremely unlikely. He's a lightly raised three-year-old. He could certainly improve. But when you 
factor in all the other pieces to it, the, the chances of if, if Flavian hit him right-handed or left-handed or just went to a vigorous hand ride, that he would have picked up, you know, north of, of five points, maybe up into even the 10-point range from a buyer standpoint, that makes him one of the fastest sprinters you've seen probably in 30 years. It, it's not impossible, but I think too many people think that when a horse is just kind of not asked for their best, apologies for the squeaky chair, that there is just automatically more there. And I'm someone who I look at it, and if I see a two-year-old who's, who's geared down, never really asked for their best, I do. I think perhaps there's a forward move there. I suppose that's a little contradictory because this is a lightly raced horse, but he's a three-year-old and it's September. It's not as though, I, I, think we, I think physically maybe there's one more little forward move, but even having said that, boy... It's really difficult for me to envision a, a situation where this horse all of a sudden is running 125 buyers. I just, because it doesn't really happen. Maybe he is the unicorn of all unicorns. And again, I'm talking about a horse that I think might actually do better going longer than shorter. Regardless, he's extremely exciting. He's in good hands with John Sadler. He's proven that he can run at different racetracks, Santa Anita and Del Mar. They're both in Southern California, but they're different surfaces. He's proven that he can do a little bit of, of both. He also showed this time around, granted it was with a cushy outside post, with nobody to his outside, that he could sit for a moment, but realistically, why bother waiting any longer? Just let him go and, and blow the doors off the field. John Sadler, I believe it was Joaquin Jaime from uh, TVG, was chatting with him right after the race, brought up a race like the Malibu, three-year-old restricted race for... Seven-eighths of a mile opening day at Santa Anita. That's a grade one. That's a long way away, though. I, purely from a numbers standpoint, he would fit really well in a race like the Breeders' Cup Sprint. That's probably asking a little bit much, especially with how deep the sprint division could potentially be if you're including the three-year-olds. But I... You know, I mean, I guess that's just it. And, and I saw some folks bringing up the difference between a flight line and a Jackie's warrior and, and a, if a life is good, if they wanted to keep him shorter or any of that kind of stuff. You would you would think the the hardened, the battle-hardened version of Jackie's warrior, despite the fact that he's never run a fig that fast or as fast as flight line has, would give him an edge. But if flight line for somehow some way has more in the tank and he can take another step forward then then who knows maybe he would win the, the breeders cup sprint off of two career efforts the other thing you have to acknowledge with a horse like this he's a three-year-old he's raced twice he missed the entire month of july from a training standpoint clearly there have been some things that um haven't gone according to plan i i do wonder if we don't see him again for some time Maybe he's that kind of horse that he's going to fire these massive shots and it takes him some time to get back to his best. But I think it's hard to argue. And that's, I guess that was another piece that I just, we had to start with flight line. The folks who don't believe in the number, I'm not sure why you don't. What, what about the, the speed figure? When you've got two reputable numbers out there and say what you will about the buyers or Timeform US or Thoragraph, or Brisnet, or whatever fig it is. 
Some people are going to love certain ones and some people are going to hate others. I'm just kind of looking for consistency. Because when the inconsistencies start to show up, that's when you can try to exploit them. To your advantage, for better or for worse, from a gambling standpoint and a handicapping standpoint. So far, I'm seeing things that check out. If something doesn't check out, let me know, please, because I, I'm, I'm very curious. But I look at Flightline, I think, boy, he's really exciting. I don't know that I think all of a sudden we're going to get another nine-point improvement in his third lifetime start as he improved from start one to start two. If he jumps up nine points up into a 123, you're, you're talking about an historically good sprinter. And I say again that I don't think he's actually a sprinter based on the way he finishes his races. I think he wants to go longer than this. So I'm just curious what other people's thoughts are on Flightline because you could make an argument that he's one of the most talented horses in training, period. It's just what is he truly at heart? Is he a one-turn horse? Is he a two-turn horse? And we've never seen him go two, so that is a bit of speculation. But based on what I've seen in his pedigree, I think he would do better going longer, especially with that speed. I assume it'll carry a lot better going longer than it would shorter. And... Where would you like to see him next? I only bring up the Malibu because John Sadler brought up the Malibu. Maybe we see him beforehand, but noting that he has had some starts and stops, he's only raced twice at this point in his career, maybe we don't see him again until opening day at Santa Anita. And I mean the real Santa Anita meet, not the fall meet. Or maybe we see him beforehand. Maybe there's a surprise and we do get to see him in a race like the Breeders' Cup Sprint. It seems ambitious, it seems lofty, but... Based on what he's done on the racetrack, I think everyone involved should at least think about it and say, we might have the best horse, period. Let's give it a go. Or do you think you've got a monster for next year as well, and this is one of those instances where you're better off taking some time? Don't get caught up. Say, we're going to do right by him. Give him plenty of time to continue to mature and go move along. We'll bring him back in that grade one Three-year-old restricted, seven-eighths of a mile, get a little stretch out there. And then maybe at the beginning of next year as a four-year-old to stretch him out to two turns. Who knows? I just think Flightline's a fascinating racehorse, and he's very exciting. Visually, he's stunning. He's done nothing wrong in both starts. He does everything professionally. There's a lot to like for John Sadler and, and Ronus Racing and Summer Wind Equine, everyone involved. Let me know your thoughts about Flightline beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now, let's talk about some two-year-old stakes races, and another performance. Arguably, or I'm not going to say arguably, I'm going to say it. The two-year-old performance that I am most interested in going forward, the two-year-old who his performance, and it is a boy. Going forward, I'm most interested in him. He's not coming out of the stakes races. Let's get into that. Let's talk some two-year-olds. Let's talk two-year-olds. Let's begin with the girls. We'll start out west. The Del Mar debutante, Grace Adler, wins for fun. Wins by almost 12 for Baffert. Goes off at 9-2. to two. A couple things here. You look at the pedigree distance. I don't think it's going to be an issue for her. The speed figs, eh, they leave a little bit to be desired. They're not slow, but they're not fast by any stretch. 74 buyer here. The good news is she's done things in her first two starts that I think are... I don't want to say abnormal for a two-year-old, but whenever you can see a baby who lacks experience pass horses as easily as she has, 
I think that I think that means some some pretty good things in the big picture. Now, it's fair to question what she's run against and what happens is she going to be able to do that sort of thing against better horses? But to this point right now, I'm not going to sit here and say she's no good. I th- I think there's some ability here fractionally. I think she does need to improve some and and find some forward move. I like the incremental moves, but even having said that, if we're looking at, you know, call it a, I don't know, six-point improvement from a buyer standpoint from start one to start two, if you jump up six points again to an 80, I would have to assume they think about stretching her out for the chandelier out at Santa Anita. If they don't do that and you run right into the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, you know, is an 80 buyer good enough to win that race? It might be. It's good to know that she's proven herself at Del Mar. Again, she won by nearly 12 lengths, but there is a, I I, I can't help but feel like she's going to need to step up again if she's going to run with the likes of a Zulu, I was going to call her Zulu Alpha, Echo Zulu. Now, Echo Zulu won the spinaway at Saratoga on Sunday. She did so in gates of wire fashion. I thought she looked really, really good throughout. Uh, took a little bit of heat early on. She rolled down on the inside beneath Ricardo Santana, drew off for fun. Um, from a speed figure standpoint, she is fast. She earned a 92 in her career debut, and that was from a pre- pace-pressing position. This time around, she goes right to the front and wins, earns a 90 buyer. If you're just looking at it from a nuts-and-bolts speed figure standpoint, she is considerably faster than Grace Adler is. She's also going to get the jump on Grace Adler. Distance isn't going to be an issue, or shouldn't be, for Echo Zulu. See Gunrunner on top, you see Menifee on the bottom. I have no problem with a mile and a sixteenth. Now, I'll be curious to see what Asmussen wants to do and where they move her from here. Because do you run her in a race like the Champagne? I say the Champagne. I'm all over the place today, guys. Sorry. The Frisette. A one-turn mile for Phillies. Or do you go sort of the Keeneland path? Run her down there. That's an option. And the Alcibiades, that's two turns. Get that kind of question mark out of the way. If we're just calling it, calling a spade a spade, Echo Zulu is much, much faster than Grace Adler is right now. That doesn't mean that one is going to defeat the other in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, but of the two finales, let's call them, at the respective meets, It's hard for me not to think that Echo Zulu is the better of the two at this stage in the game right now compared to Grace Adler. Let me know your opinion of these two races and if there's anyone else that you're kind of interested in out of these two events. You know, the the Del Mar race, there really wasn't much else in there for me to be that impressed with. I thought Tarabi ran really well in the spinaway. She smacked the gate down on the inside coming away. Got off a little bit slow. She rushed up into a stalking position down on the inside. She was nudged along. I thought she really showed a nice burst of energy, rounding the turn, angled out, split, and then finished with interest. I think the race is a lot better than maybe the page is going to suggest. 82 buyer up from the 74 when she went effectively gate to wire. I don't want to say that. I shouldn't. She didn't go gate to wire in that run down at Ellis. She was about a half length off of it. There was a hole down on the inside. She shot through and went off and won easily. I think Tarabi, there's more there. I would love more racing from her. Echo Zulu, I know she's fast. Tarabi is fast, but I think she does need a little bit more seasoning against good quality competition. I wouldn't be opposed to a race like the one-turn frisette for her. 
But if you are still looking at the two-turn kind of elephant in the room, knowing that you're going to have to do that in November, maybe you do want to go to the Alcibiades, or, or maybe you ship out west. Who knows? Maybe you're running the chandelier. But if I were in charge of any of these horses, and I'm not, I'd be looking at Grace Adler out on the West Coast. I would say, let's go to the Chandelier. Let's get the two turns. Let's let's prove and let's let's continue to improve. I think that's going to be a, an important piece for these girls at this point. You can't plateau. If you plateau right now, you're probably not good enough to win the Juvenile Phillies. If you take another step forward and you, you're sitting on go for that race in November, then yeah, you, you get a big chance. I think Grace Adler needs another run under her belt. If I was involved with Tarabi, I would certainly be looking at the, I keep saying the champagne, the frisette, the one-turn race at Belmont Park for the two-year-old girls. I think that's a really nice spot for her. And then if she performs the way that it appears she's capable of performing, you just stretch her out to two turns for the Breeders' Cup. Echo Zulu, knowing the connections, knowing Asmussen and everyone involved, I would say probably the Alcibiades, two turns, get that out of the way and then ship her out west where she's very likely to be if she's not the favorite she's one of the favorites for the juvenile fillies so those were the three i guess dream lith you know say what you will she was 100 wide she never really had a chance in this race i'm still not totally sold that she's that fast but it's far too early to really be making definitive statements one way or the other on what you think of some of these horses um but i don't know that i would hold the spin away against her echo zulu is fast she deserves to be on the short list of the horses you're looking at for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. I would hope the Alcibiades or think the Alcibiades is the logical step here. Uh, the run for Tarabi, I would prefer the Frisette. The Frisette, not the Champagne. The Frisette, a one-turn mile for two-year-old Phillies at Belmont Park. And then for Grace Adler, I would like to think the Chandelier, get the two turns under your belt, and then Baffert and company can send her back to Del Mar, knowing that she handles the surface very well. She can pass runners, and two turns isn't going to be an issue. That's how I would go about those runners. Let me know how you would handle any of the two-year-old girls that we saw run over closing weekend. Now, let's take a look at the boys. Labor Day Monday, you had the Del Mar Futurity, and you had the Hopeful. Those were the two big ones. Let's start out west. Pinehurst continues along. He gets the job done. I, it's another instance, and it feels weird to say this, because Baffert's horses are, are, to me, usually the ones that are brilliant. They're not the grindy stayers. And the ones that typically are the grindy stayers, they're kind of, meh, they may not be all that good in the grand scheme of things. I wasn't blown away by the victory from Pinehurst, but it must be said that he never really looked like he was in trouble. He had his ears pricked at the end of the run. He went right to the front in similar fashion to the way that he broke his maiden. He ran faster in his maiden score than he did in the Delmar Futurity from a buyer's standpoint. He regressed from an 86 to a 79. But I look at the pedigree, and I don't think distance is going to be a problem for him. Big picture, I, you know, did I love it? No. I, I think he needs another run. I would go to the American Pharaoh at Santa Anita with him. But... He he feels like a stayer to me. He doesn't seem like a brilliant type, despite the fact that he did go 22 for the opening quarter. He went 44 and three for the half. I just I wasn't overly impressed. I wasn't wowed visually by what we saw from this horse. The horse that I'm most interested in coming out of this race, and we have to acknowledge the the bomb of the race, Murray. And yeah, he had a little bit of trouble, but he was the other Baffert, and he was bet down to three to five, and he finished fifth, well beaten in this spot. The horse that I want out of this race, and these are the sort of performances that I get excited about because I think that you're just going to have the folks that look at the figs in whatever race they show up in next and go, they just haven't gotten any better. 
the folks that go back and watch the tape are going to notice that the trip for Papa Cap was impossible. And I think I think Papa Cap is is a sneaky runner. I don't know what Mark Cassie is going to want to do with this horse. He won the best pal two starts back, forward, chasing a relatively fast pace, ends up winning by almost five lengths. The fig comes back, eh, 70. Nothing spectacular. He comes here, he's bet down to nine to two. Breaks, fine. Not even at the shoot, though. Keep in mind, seven eights, you're going to have that shoot. We've seen time and time again, some horses kind of veer into it. He didn't even get that far. And he basically banged a left-hand turn, almost loses Joe Bravo, Bravo still kind of regains himself under a hammerlock. He's got the horse, you know, well-restrained. Now he wants to go up the backside to a point where he's really going to have to wait. Bravo's up and uh, up on his heels, really hanging on, hanging on. We got a shuffle. Wait, 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 wait. Loses a few positions on with the shuffle. Rounding the far turn, then breaks again. Goes into it to the point where he's in beautiful stalking position. But with the amount of stuff that's gone on for him already in the opening half mile of the race, it's no surprise that, yes, he's able to get through and it looks like he's got every opportunity to kick on and he's just kind of flat down the lane. But when you factor in an inexperienced horse who breaks in the way that he did early on, just out of the gate to the left, that can get him a little bit jacked up. Then you tell that he's a little keen. And Bravo's trying to get him to relax a little bit. Instead, he runs up effectively in a position that he can't go anywhere. Then when he finally gets him to relax a little bit, he's got to tap the brakes. He gets shuffled back a few lengths and then comes back into it. The, the number of moves involved in that half mile or five-eighths run, to me, indicate that the horse has some ability. And when you compare that to the runs that he's had before, he's... He's still lightly raced, and he had to encounter a lot more in this race than he has, I think, in either of his first two starts. So, to me, there's reason to think that there's more here for Papa Cap. I don't know if they're going to stretch him out in distance in his next start. I don't know where his next start's going to be. But I think Papa Cap is one. I've already done it. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. I threw him in my stable mail. I think he's a really interesting runner who, if you're someone who just looks at the figs, you go, he's just not getting any better. For someone who watches the tape, this is a pretty, I think, educational performance. I think it's something that he's going to build off of. And I have a funny feeling that he's going to be the kind of horse that will appreciate going a little bit longer. He's gun runner out of a scat daddy mare. Maybe Papa Cap is the one that you want to keep an eye on coming out of the Del Mar Futurity. Now, out on the East Coast, you had a race that I, I was so disappointed with the performance from one of the, the favorites in here. Gunite wins the race. 11 to 1. I thought it was a good performance all around. He's mid-pack. He shoots up the wood to a contested lead down around the far turn. He's inside. He's pressured on the front end, but he begins to pull away, and he eventually just draws off and wins for fun. It was a nice performance on the clock. It was fine. But it wasn't anything that was electric. He earned an 83. This is on the heels of an 81 in his most recent start. That came in the Saratoga Special where he got his doors blown off by High Oak. This was also second time blinkers for this horse. So uh, there is a part of me that thinks maybe you got your forward move there. And it doesn't mean that he can't continue to improve. But, I, you know, there are reasons to look at him and say... He's done nothing wrong in, in five lifetime starts. He's, he's never been off the board. 
He's run quite well, and he's shown some versatility. He's a horse that's getting a little bit more into the run early on in these most recent starts. I guess I just, I thought it was good. But just that, I wasn't blown away by it. He's not a horse that I'm terrified of. I may very well pick him in, a, in his next start, wherever that is, whether it's the Breeders' Futurity or they just sit and wait in, until the, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile or they want to run in a race like the Champagne or wherever it may be. I still may end up picking him. But I wasn't blown away. I thought it was good. I think the final margin is going to be the thing that, I don't want to say it's deceiving, but yeah, he almost won by six. I don't know. I thought Wit ran pretty well in, in the big picture. Now, Wit has, Wit's got some quirks. He doesn't get out of the gate all that well. He stumbled badly after the start in this spot in the hopeful. The thing that makes me still think that Wit is a talented horse is his ability to run in the middle portions of the of the race. That's where he's effectively broken these other races open. It hasn't been so much his finishes. It's been the way that he's been able to gobble up ground on the turns. So when I look at that pedigree, practical joke, Medallia Doro on the bottom, to me, he's a champagne horse. I would, I would hope that he can figure out the, the start thing a little bit more between now and then. Because he just is left with so much to do that as brilliant as those middle moves are, you know, I wasn't stunned that all of a sudden he just kind of flattened out down, down the lane. He didn't have enough to sustain that long bid. Understandably so. What it, I mean, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to think that he's going to be able to continue on with that kind of a move for a sustained period. I think he's a good horse. I think there are some things to still iron out. Maybe the 90 buyer in his second start in the Sanford is a little inflated, but I'm not even going to go down that road just yet. I think he's a good horse. I think when all is said and done, he's going to end up being a one-turn horse as opposed to a sort of classic contender. But that doesn't mean that he can't win big races going forward. I think he's very talented. He's got a few things to iron out. And again, I love those middle moves. That, to me, is the, the, the hallmark of a good, talented racehorse, and Witt has done that in all three of his starts. So, no, he's not undefeated, and no, he didn't get the job done. He got his, you know, he got pretty well beaten by Gunite. I think he's pretty good. I think he's going to be a one-turn horse, and hopefully he can figure out the starts and get a little more into the run early on. Because if he can do that, I think he's going to be a, a serious threat next year in many of those one-turn races. And I'm sure they're going to give him the opportunity to stretch out to two turns. But I can see him being a Pat Day mile horse, a Woody Stevens, an H. Allen Jerkins type. The, the major disappointment for me in this race was High Oak. There's really no two ways around it. I don't know if something happened to him or what. But this was, to me, this wasn't the High Oak that I saw <clears throat> Excuse me, win the Saratoga Special or run as well as he did in his maiden score. And keep in mind, the maiden score I was a little turned off by because there were four of them across the track. His Saratoga special was just so damn good. And I don't know what the deal was here, but I just... He never really looked like he was threatening. He was out in the clear. He started to warm up, rounding the far turn. looked like he was within shouting distance, and then he was just flat down the lane. And I, you know, I think he's going to stretch out. I think he's a two-turn horse more so than than what you've got here with these one-turn races. But I was just a little disappointed. I, I, I thought we were going to get a big forward move, or maybe not even a forward move, but at least something 
comparable to that Saratoga special. And I thought this was a decided step back. Does not mean that he can't run. Doesn't, And that's the thing, too. Keep in mind, when I'm talking about all these two-year-olds where you've got eh, less than stellar performances or I expected more or this, that, or the other, they're still so lightly raced that you shouldn't just be drawing a, a line through them after one kind of dud. They're babies. They're figuring everything out. Some of them don't want to do this. Some of them want to go longer. And they, again, I, you know, I brought it up with Flightline. I've brought it up with Life is Good. I always use Frosted as the example. Horses that they are, they run really well in spots that they actually aren't suited for. Frosted was just such a brilliant racehorse that he was good and he could win grade ones going two turns, despite the fact that in my heart of hearts, and I will go to my grave believing this, that he was a one-turn horse. High Oak, I think he probably wants two turns. So yeah, the hopeful, I was disappointed in. I thought it was going to be a much better performance. Not ready to write him off. One one less than stellar effort doesn't mean that he can't pick his feet up. Coming out of this race, I think Wit is probably the one that I'm most interested in. But having said that, he's going to be a short price. And I do think there will be distance limitations at some point. Gunite, I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm completely dismissing him. I thought he was really good. But I just don't know that he has any kind of edge on the rest of the two-year-old boys. Let me know what your thoughts are about the two two-year-olds the two two-year-olds, the two boys' races for two-year-olds. Boy, it's just been an absolute mouthful for me trying to get this stuff out this week. At Saratoga and Del Mar, Gunite gets the job done with an 83 buyer in the hopeful. And out on the West Coast, Pinehurst gets the job done in the Del Mar Futurity with the 79. And now, the race and the horse that I'm most interested in for two-year-olds going forward, he has not won a race yet, but he's the horse that I want long-term. Who am I talking about? I speak of a Todd Pletcher trainee owned by Rapoli Stable and St. Elias Stable. He ran in the seventh race on Monday. He's a two-year-old by Union Rags out of a Tappet mare named Smitten. Paid $220,000 for him at the Keeneland September 2020 sale. He was bet down to three to one. He finished second in his career debut. His name is Command Performance. Command Performance earned a 75 buyer, finishing second behind Don't Wait Up on closing day at the spa. All around, I loved everything that I saw from this horse in this race. He hopped. Here is my this is my exact note. Verbatim. Gate hopped away slow. Backstretch, nudged along toward rear 1-2 path, began improving. Far turn, mid-pack 2-3 path warming up, forced to wait behind runners. Stretch run, sent along 2 path, angled out 4-5 path, drifted, finished full of run, gallop out strong, and the note big, educational, could be major. Command performance is the two-year-old that I am most interested in right now that I've seen to this point. Big picture. Maybe the Breeders' Cup's going to be too quick for him. Maybe that's not even what the connections are looking at. I don't know where his next start will be. I want to see what happens on a fast track. But when you go through and you note that runners 1, 2, 3, and 4, specifically 1, 3, and 4, were all within the top 5 at the half, or I should say half mile into the run, the winner went gate to wire, 
command performance for him to run the way that he did after the start, which was, uh, I don't want to call it a disaster, but it was far from good. There was a whole bunch of, you know, beating and banging that went on at the, at the beginning down on the inside three stalls. For him to rally the way that he did, weave through horses, and finish as strong as he did, according to DRF's formulator product, his final eighth of a mile was in 12.44. Compare that to the pace setter who was the winner, who finished in 12.78, and the gallop out from command performance. To me, he's a horse that wants every inch of ground that he can get. So for him to do this at six furlongs with the trouble on a wet track, I think there's something here. I'll be very interested to see where they go next with him. I don't know that they'll do it. I would not rule out a run in the champagne as a maiden. Again, I don't know that they'll do that. Maybe they want to get the maiden score first and go on from there. Based on this performance, I would have to at least think about running in the champagne. And again, the squeaky chair. It's just one of those days, folks, after a holiday weekend. Goodness gracious. I think command performance is really good. Or at least has the potential to be really good. To the point where if I needed to, and I know this is stupid, and I know some of you are going to roll your eyes and say, why are we, we're not even into October or November yet. Forget about the, you know, next spring. I think this could be that kind of horse that could be a, a proper Kentucky Derby contender or prospect. Put it that way, a prospect. That of all the horses I've seen so far, he's the one that I look at and go, I could see him being a Derby, a Derby horse. Command Performance is his name. Go back and watch the tape if you haven't. I think he's kind of sneaky. And maybe even for this year as a two-year-old. Maybe a little bit too much too soon to think like that. But I, I wouldn't be stunned. Put it that way. I, wouldn't, I don't want to say that. I should, let me rephrase. If I were involved and he, would, he was doing fine, I would at least think about running in the champagne as a maiden. If they are so inclined to just take their time and get the maiden score. I'm sure there's going to be seven-eighths races down at Belmont Park for maidens. There may even be one-turn miles, which would be a nice sort of stepping stone for a horse who I think is going to run five miles. Uh, Command Performance is his name. For those of you that have seen it, or for those of you who are going to go and watch it, uh, let me know what your thoughts are on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player on YouTube. Now, let's pivot to some football. NFL Week 1 is upon us. Four plays this first week for those of you who don't care about the nfl fair fair play you can turn off the pod now i'll be back next week for those of you that are curious uh week one of the nfl is upon us and i go through uh not for so the things i do for nbc sports edge.com i've put together predictive models there's a number of different factors and variables that are put into let's just call them equations and numbers are spit out, and I use those to kind of formulate the opinions, okay? So with the NFL, while I'm not doing anything over there, I figure this is a good platform to fire off some, some opinions, and I'll do this every week. Uh, the good news is I can go through with my model and crunch the numbers whenever I want, and we can use the lines that are available at the time of. So that means that whatever you get for whatever these games are may not be the same as myself or someone else, but that's what we'll use for these purposes. So the other caveat for this week is my model right now is using information from last year. So the teams effectively that we saw play last season, some of the games, I had to factor it in a little bit, 
the, the numbers may be slightly off simply because we've got new quarterbacks, new coaches, whatever it may be, uh, you know, new linemen, especially for a team like Kansas City, any of that kind of stuff. So it, it's, uh, you know, do with it what you will. This is how I'm playing it. These are wagers that I'm going to be making, and I've pulled all these lines from the DraftKings Sportsbook. So let's start off with the Thursday night game, Dallas Cowboys at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucks minus eight. Excuse me, seven and a half now is what I'm saying. Uh, that's at minus 110. I would be going with Tampa at home, or I will be going with Tampa at home. Uh, the model that I have has spit out a number. Now, keep in mind, this could be slightly off simply because Dallas, for the vast majority of the last season, didn't have Dak Prescott back there, and it affected the entire offense. Their defense is still spotty at best, despite the fact that they've tried to make improvements on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but they've also got some issues with COVID going on right now. The model has spit out 35 to 18 Tampa. I, I have a feeling that's probably, call it six points off. But even still, if it's 35-24, you're still easily covering the seven and a half. Tampa, for all the reasons everybody and their brother has laid out, I have no reason to go against them here at this point. Also, for what it's worth, the total that I last saw was uh, 52. Based on this number from my model, the expected points scored for the game is 53. Do with that what you will. But my play for this game is Tampa minus 7.5 at minus 110. I have them winning 35-18. to 18. Second game, Philadelphia Eagles at the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons, I'm going to take them minus 3. That's at minus 115 right now. Um, no Julio Jones, but that doesn't really matter at this point. For as awesome as Julio is, he's a Hall of Famer. He doesn't. He's never scored a bunch of touchdowns. They have enough, I think, offensively that that that's not going to be a problem. They're going to be able to actually, I think, just move on pretty quickly between Ridley, who I don't love, but I get it. I understand he's now the number one. Russell Gage is kind of a sneaky player, um, and Kyle Pitts. We'll find out what he's all about. Tight ends. Uh, I I think too many people are, are using rookie tight ends as I understand historically they haven't really done well right out of the gate. He may be a little bit of a different animal because he's simply, I think he's much more of a wide receiver than a tight end. But point being, I have Atlanta winning 26-17 to over Philadelphia. I don't think Philadelphia is very good. Uh, I don't know that I think Atlanta's very good, but I think they are considerably better than the Eagles are. So minus three, I've got Atlanta winning this game uh, by, a, by a decent little margin. Um Call that what? If I could do fast math, nine points. Twenty-six to seventeen, Atlanta. Uh, third game. This one could also be a little bit sneaky, but New York Jets at Carolina Panthers. I have the Panthers minus five and a half and winning the game twenty-three to thirteen. The reason it could be sneaky based on my projections because now the Jets have Zach Wilson at quarterback, but at the same time, the Panthers now have Sam Darnold. I think I think Carolina is actually decent. I think they've got enough. From a talent standpoint on the offensive side of the ball, they're going to be growing pains for the Jets. And maybe they'll sling it around a million times. But I think from a skill position standpoint, I think Carolina's actually halfway decent. And I think they're better off with Darnold than they were with Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy didn't... From a, let's say, putting the ball through the air. Yes, accurate, but not particularly long as far as verticals are concerned. I think they're going to be much better off with Darnold back there with the weapons that they've got. McCaffrey is now fully back involved. I think DJ Moore is very, very talented. 
probably underrated talented. If he was on a, a better team, I think many more people would be talking about him. I have Carolina winning 23-13. Carolina minus 5.5 at minus 110. That's the play there. In the last game for me, this is another interesting one because you do have a, an entirely different situation at quarterback. The Seahawks at the Colts. I have the Colts plus 2.5 at home. That's minus 105. I have the Colts winning outright, actually. So if you really wanted to, you could take the money line. I think last check it was plus 120. I'm going to take the 2.5 at home. The model has suggested 25-24 to 24 for a final score. I have no idea what to expect from Carson Wentz. Um, I, I think offensively, they've got some decent enough pieces. And Seattle, for whatever reason, I know a lot of people are all in on them this year, as is the case basically with the entire NFC West. They had enough kind of clunker-ish games for me last year to not totally be all in on them just yet. I think they're good. I don't know that they're, you know, Super Bowl contenders. I could be way off on that, and we'll find out in time. But those are the four games that I'm going with to start things off week one, and we'll keep a running tally on this. I have the Bucks minus 7.5, winning that game 35-18 to 18 over Dallas. And again, if you want to factor in the DAC thing, maybe it's about a six-point difference uh, compared to when they had Dalton you know, running the show last year. So even at 35-24, to 24, you're still well over that 7.5. Uh, I have the Falcons beating the Eagles 26-17, to covering the minus 3. I have the Panthers defeating the Jets 23 to 13, covering the minus five and a half. And I have the Colts defeating the Seahawks. I mean, look, if you really were feeling frisky, you could take the money line, but I'll take the two and a half points uh, that the Colts are getting at home at minus 105. There are the four plays for week one of this 2021-22 NFL season. Let me know if you have any opinions for the week one games on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player on YouTube. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the pod. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. YouTube, Matt Bernie, your show. In that search bar, you'll get this episode along with the 80 prior. Uh, some programming notes coming up this Saturday, 5 o'clock Eastern on NBC. I will be down at Kentucky Downs going over a couple of winning your in races for the Breeders' Cup, part of the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series. Then I will be back on Monday of next week with episode 82 of this program. We'll also have Horseplayer Happy Hour coming up on Thursday, myself and PTF. We'll also, uh, I'm going to be on Howard Kravitz's podcast, the HHH uh, Racing Podcast. So definitely take a look at that uh, coming up on Thursday evening. I believe that's going to be leading right into the NFL season open between the Cowboys and the Bucks. Uh, until next Monday, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 81 of the Matt Bernier Show.